the whole idea of retroactively applying today's values to the past and things that happened in the past is a relatively new phenomenon. True. As I sit here today with Chris and we talk about, and, and as we welcome you to this 429th episode of Unscripted, one of the things that I've been looking forward to discussing with Chris, and ultimately fans of Unscripted, you can certainly leave your questions and your comments uh, on one of our nine different social media avenues for you to do so. I'd be very interested to hear what some of our listeners of Unscripted have to say but this comment is obviously going toward the National Hockey League and what I think is going to be the biggest challenge in the now, well, I'll say on February 1st, it'll be 26 years as the uh, commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman. I think the greatest challenge of his career, he's in the midst of right now. And what I mean by that is it started about, what, 10 days ago, with a uh, week or 10 days ago when the Toronto Maple Leafs fired head coach Mike Babcock, and then Babcock had came out, um, had a unique way of trying to <laughs> uh, fire up a then-rookie by the name of Mitch Marner. Um, he used it as a way to, I don't know what he, I don't know what his coaching style here was, but Story has it is when Marner was a rookie three years ago, his first coach at the National League level was, of course, obviously Mike Babcock. When he came up to the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first time, and I'm assuming that Mitch Marner came up from the AHL's Toronto Marlies, but what the hell do I know? Uh, but anyway, upon getting the promotion to play in the National League, um, Babcock supposedly asked Mitch Marner to submit to him a list of the guys that he felt were the hardest working guys on the team down to the guys that don't do nothing, the, the, the slackers on the team. Now, that's an awful lot to ask a rookie. Now, if you're asking a veteran at that point, I suppose there's a little bit more credence to doing so but you ask a fresh-faced rookie who at the time was only 19 or 20 years old you ask him to come up to the up to the big club and you ask him to submit a list as as to what he has seen in practice as who are the the hardest working guys on the team are versus who the slackers are okay now if babcock uses that as his own personal thing that's one thing but then supposedly would got kind of Babcock into a bit of hot water was that Babcock turned around and shared that list with teams, especially the guys that were at the bottom of Marner's slacker list. Talk about a one hell of a position to put a young man in as he's the newest member of the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey club. And you ask him to submit a list and he probably doesn't even know all of these guys. Certainly you know, he knows their names, but he probably doesn't know their games, you know, 
upside down, in and out. He doesn't know everything about their games. He doesn't know their tendencies. He doesn't know what they like, what they don't like, where they like the puck, where they don't like the puck, where they handle it better, you know, yada, yada, yada. A lot of invariables there. Then, right after that happens, of course, and it's been going on now for over a week here in Calgary, it finally subsided on, I believe, Saturday was when Bill Peters submitted his resignation. Maybe it was Friday. He submitted his resignation to the Calgary Flames general manager, Pizza Boy, Bradtree Living, because it came out after what Babcock had done to Mitch Marner, it then had come out that Bill Peters had come out and used some, he used the N-word is what he did, um, an African-American player, originally, I believe, from Cameroon, but born, uh, raised in Canada. Um, he was playing with the Rockford Ice Dogs of the American Hockey League 10 years ago. That was the top farm club at the time of the Chicago Blackhawks organization. And the coach there was Bill Peters. And this guy, Aleem Aku or something like that, I don't know his name, um, but anyway, he comes out and, and makes the proclamation that um, not only did he, uh, he meaning Peters, use the N-word many times in regard to this young man who happened to be of African descent. You're born in Cameroon. You're not a white guy. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you want to put me as a racist, go ahead. M-I-K-E. But anyway, so this guy comes out, says Peters has used the N-word numerous times. He had derogatory things in regard to rap music. Um, and he then also said, I was on the bench many times and he got hit, you know, probably a kick in the back or something to get him going. And then that story was corroborated, um, by Rod Brindamore, who is the current head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. But before Rod Brindamore was the current head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, the head coach down there was, yep, you guessed it, Bill Peters and Bill Peters, um, used some physical force on some of his players as well down in Carolina. And I don't know if he used the N-word down there, but I do know that he uh, supposedly uh, was abusive towards some of his players in Carolina, which Rod Brindamore uh, verified that that did happen. He said, oh, yeah, it happened all the time. Um, he made mention of it to somebody, and then he Brindamore says that, Management took care of it, and the, and the problem went away. Well, then early this last week, the owner, then owner of the Carolina Panther, or Carolina Hurricanes, um, who owned the team going way back to even when they were the Hartford Whalers, and he still owns a minority share of the Carolina Hurricanes, Carmatos or something like that, comes out and says, I'd have fired Bill Peters in a nanosecond if I had heard about the abuse. And then the former owner says, I've got my calls into my former general manager, who happens to be one Ronnie Francis, who has been hired within the last four or five months as the new general manager of the Seattle team in the National Hockey League. Now, yesterday, as this soap opera continues, Ronnie Francis comes out and says, I told management about what Bill Peters was doing and... I did what I was supposed to do. Well, somewhere between the former owner and the former general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, someone is not quite telling the whole truth. What I'm getting at here is that 
Bill Peters again resigned, I believe, on made it official on Friday as head coach of the Calgary Flames. But then as soon as that happened, boom, here we go. Uh, what was the quarter, the coach that used to be of the uh, Vancouver Canucks had his most success? Mark Crawford. Thank you, sir. Mark Crawford. Uh, he's been the coach in L.A. He's been the coach in Vancouver. He's been the coach in Dallas. He's was ended the year last year as the coach in Ottawa. He was most successful and won a Stanley Cup with Patrick Waugh and uh, Joey, um, general manager now in Colorado, uh, guy from British Columbia. You know who I'm talking about. Joey Sackett. Oh, yeah. Won a Stanley Cup with Mark Crawford. So some guy comes out of the woodwork this week and says, Mark Crawford was abusive. And... I really think, obviously, as we, again, welcome you to this 429th episode of Unscripted, this is just going to continue to go on and on and on. And I've got to believe, I really got to believe this before I get Chris involved. I've been rambling on here long enough. But this is going to end up being the biggest scandal in the almost 26 years of leading the National Hockey League as its commissioner for Commissioner Gary Bettman. Because... I know in my little corner of the world, I was not a professional athlete. Chris was a professional athlete. Maybe he can talk about some guys that, but when you're talking about, and you see the size of Chris with his arms, if somebody was trying to abuse him, I think Chris would be able to take care of himself quite well, thank you, and beat the living shit out of somebody. But this is going to be going on and on, and you're going to continue to have guys coming out of the closet because I got to tell you something, folks. As I said to Chris very early before we went on air today, I said every coach in in major professional sports, in the big four in North America, and soccer coaches and everything else, any coach that's over the age of 50 is going to be basically, in my opinion, thrown out onto the carpet because in that generation, athletes took a lot of crap from their coaches. Now, one of the reasons that Vince Lombardi was one of the greatest coaches of all time for the Green Bay Packers, you don't think he intimidated the Green Bay Packers? And at that time, the coach still made more than the players. Now the players make 10 times more than the coaches do. But you go back to the, in my lifetime, let's go back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, into the 90s. I remember as an athlete, and my father was my coach through high school. That's his end, That's where my playing career ended. But did I get slapped on top of the head by my dad? Absolutely. Did I get kicked in the ass by my dad? Absolutely. Did I get called a horse's dumbass by my dad? Absolutely. Because you wanted to play, and to play, you took a lot of extracurricular crap from your coaches. One of the things the coaches did when I was growing up, and I can imagine as you escalate up the stairs of your athletic career and you go on to higher playing levels and better playing levels. There are coaches that use playing time, uh, physicality. I would, I know that there were a number of times that I don't know, but I have a pretty damn good feeling that there were coaches. Let's go back to Woody Hayes at Ohio state or Bo Schembechler at Michigan. Remember, Woody Hayes is a Hall of Fame coach for Ohio State, but he got kicked off the sidelines after he punched another player from Clemson in the Gator Bowl in 1979. And tell me if Woody Hayes isn't punching an opposing linebacker, Charlie Bauman was his name, if he isn't punching an opposing linebacker, or if he is punching an opposing linebacker on an opposing team, you don't think he punched some of his own players in practice to, to motivate them to pull their heads out of their asses? 
I believe, and this isn't just a shot at the National Hockey League. This is a shot at all professional sports. I'm saying all professional coaches that are over the age of 50 are kind of silently shaking in their own boots right now, depending on what each of these individual teams find out about their coach. Because you know, as soon as you saw the Babcock situation and the Peters situation, and they've heard about the Crawford situation in the National Hockey Oh, and the Sutter brothers too. The Sutter brothers came out this weekend, and they were some guys were telling about when, when uh, Daryl Sutter, my favorite Sutter, was abusive towards players when he was in Chicago and San Jose, and they talked about his brother Brent, who was abusive because he was the uh, owner, uh, owner and coach of the WHL's Red Deer Rebels, that both of the Sutter brothers and one of the guys, this guy's name was Sarsilio, came out this week. Daniel weekend. Carcillo. Carcillo, thank you. Carcillo came out this week and said the reason that the National Hockey League didn't pursue pursue anything in regard to the Sutters was because they didn't want to disturb hockey royalty in regard to the Sutter family from Viking Alberta. So I'm not just taking a shot at the National Hockey League, folks, but again, not to sound repetitive, but this involves every coach that's pretty much over the age of 50 that's shitting in their bricks right now, finding out what their teams are finding out about them. And I think, before I get Chris involved here, and I'm sorry for going long-winded, but I have to think that some of these teams have to take some of the responsibility too because why didn't they do a deep check on their coach? Why didn't the Calgary Flames find out that Bill Peters was a bit of a racist? Why didn't they do... I mean, because you know as well as I do, Chris, that People in the regular nine-to-five world do deep, deep checks on all their employees now, and they want to know about every ghost and every, you know, every skeleton in every closet. This is a bad light on professional sports teams that don't dig deep enough on their head coaching hires. Well, I can tell you why they didn't dig that deep. It's because the whole idea of retroactively applying today's values to the past and things that happened in the past is a relatively new phenomenon. True. That's why. And so I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong or right. Overall, it's a sort of a societal paradigm shift that's happening, whether it's the Me Too movement or this. The problem is with it is that number one, it's not uh, some of the things, some of the things it's fair because you should never have hit your players. I mean, you could have made me a coach in the 50s. I wouldn't have hit my players, right? But, you know, some guys would have and some guys did. But I mean, for some things, retroactively applying them after the fact is ridiculous. Some, it's fair because there's certain things you never should have done in any era. But, uh, you know, I mean, until recently, uh, especially, geez, you go back to never mind recently, the 80s, the 70s or something like that. If you heard that a coach walked into a room and a black player was listening to rap and the coach said, oh, hey, that's N shit, then, you know, you wouldn't have thought anything of it, or at least most of the guys in the locker room would have been, oh, whatever. They wouldn't have even given it a second thought. It's just like, oh, whatever. And now all of these things are so important. And before, also, it was hard to call this stuff out with no social media because everyone was involved in the machine. You were either a player that was worried about making too much noise and hurting your own career, or you'd get to be a manager or something like that, and then you're part of the fraternity. So there was no... Because really what's required here is you need outside sources saying, hey, you know what? This isn't really fair. You know, you need people that aren't really involved in it and have no stake in the game and have nothing to lose where they say, hey, that's kind of bad that your industry looks like this. Um, I mean, in a lot of these cases, they're going to be hockey fans, so they're consumers, so they're, you know, paying customers, and so they, of course 
say something that matters. But I mean, this whole idea of, you know, oh, what you did in 1996 was maybe acceptable in 1996, but it's not okay now. So now you're a piece of shit. Well, okay, but he did it in 1996. So how was he supposed to know what's okay in 2019? Like, you know, again, it, it's been a long, long time since, uh, you know, that the N-word was, uh, you know, I don't know if it was ever acceptable, but oh. I mean, it would have been common. Uh, it would have been commonly said at some point in history, for sure. But it's been a long time since even that was the case. And so, uh, but I mean, I guess it's just now that people are being called out for it, even if it happened a long time ago. And so I, my only concern is I hope that there's not going to be too many innocent victims in terms of, I hope there's not going to be people that are taken down just because they, you know, swore at some players to try to try to try harder you know i hope it's not that i hope it's only guys that said things that were really out of line like saying racist things or punching them in the face or something like that things that just never should have flown for a long time i hope it's only that people i'm just worried it's going to go too far and there's going to be uh innocent victims here but i mean bill peters they're saying you know saying racist stuff like like why would you have even in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, why would you have said the N-word? That's crazy. You should have known better than that. Uh, There's also reports that he would kick guys in the back, yeah. which, I mean, why would you do that? Like, that... I don't know. I, and it's probably just because... I wouldn't be surprised if it's because when Bill Peters was a player, he probably had some coach kick him in the back. Right. And that coach is probably dead, and it won't hurt him. The thing is, if you die, people give you a bit more of a pass. If Walt Disney was still alive, you know what they dig up on him? Holy crap, they dig out so, so much anti-Semitic stuff on stuff he said in the 60s, but the fact is, he's dead. If he was alive right now, I guarantee you would have protests and boycotts of Disneyland, Disney World, and anything Disney. I guarantee you, but he's dead, so nobody cares. That's a great point, and people also don't know this, and this was maybe one of the reasons why he had to get into business himself, but people may not realize this. Walt Disney was dishonorably discharged from the military. Wow, well, for what? I don't know. But he was discharged dishonorably from the military. So with that on your record, it would have been very difficult for Walt Disney to do anything in the corporate corporate world back in his day. And ultimately, maybe that's why he decided to build these obviously world-famous and world-renowned amusement parks. But yeah, I mean, he was dishonorably discharged from the military. And and, uh, that is something that I'm very proud of that I was able to avoid, which was being dishonorably discharged from the military. All I'm saying is, and I'm just going to echo Chris's sentiments here, is that there is such a change today with our athletes and our focus in regard to, you know, um, they can't, In the National Football League, for example, they can't have more than X amount of padded practices during the season, and they can't have more than this many days of two-a-days during training camp. Today's athletes have become prima donna soft powder puffs, and I just can't imagine any athlete today, and there are some very fine ones, no question about it, but would they be able to live under the scrutiny of working back in the 60s for a Vince Lombardi? Or could they have worked for a George Hallis back in the day? Or in the National Hockey League, could they have worked for a Toe Blake, who a lot of people think is the greatest hockey coach ever? But I bet that he did some things that just wouldn't be socially socially accepted today. 
And that's, I think, where Chris is coming from is that I don't, I hope that it doesn't get to the point of that these coaches, yeah, they can't use a little colorful language to try to inspire. Because remember, guys, these 32 National Hockey League coaches, these 30 or 31 National Hockey League coaches, 32 NFL coaches, 30 whatever it is, 32 NBA coaches, whatever it is, uh, 31, 30, whatever it is, Major League Baseball managers, um, if they don't, if they can't use, if players get up in arms when they get yelled at now, I'm not even talking about using the N-word or, or anything outrageous like that. But if these managers and coaches can't use a little bit of high volume in trying to uh, inspire their players to perform, because let's, let's knock it down as simply as I can think we can knock it down. All of these coaches are dependent on their rosters. And if their rosters don't perform, those coaches are out of a job. Because you've heard since the day one of when you became a sports fan, whenever that day was, it's always easier to hire one, or excuse me, fire one than 25 other hockey players or 53 football players or 15 basketball players or 25 baseball players. It's always easier to fire one. Well, if they don't allow these players, excuse me, these managers and coaches to voice their opinions, sometimes rather loudly, then you might as well go without managers and coaches and just see what happens because they will be just pretty much made just null and void. Well, I understand that uh, players today may not uh, handle being uh, you know, disciplined like they used to, but at the same time, I was never really a fan of how most coaches thought, oh, well, I'm the boss, and so I'm just going to yell until I get my way, and I can just kind of do whatever. I thought there was way too much of a power trip aspect to that, and I never really liked that. I understand today that, you know, it's well known in recent years in coaching circles, you have to be able to uh, communicate differently with your players. The best idea is to, you know, have a a one-on-one relationship with them, be able to take them aside and coach them patiently talk to them like another human being and you know make good points and say like hey this is why we need you to do this uh this is what we need from you and whatever and and answer their questions if they have any i mean honestly just yelling at people and wanting them to do what you want is just that's always been lazy and nobody likes that who has to be on the receiving end of that and it always just stems from laziness and a lack of communication uh, ability and from just having a power trip i mean it's the worst possible attribute of the worst coaches the worst cops the worst teachers you name it and it gives all of them a bad name and a lot of people resent cops and teachers and whatever else because of that and i've never ever liked that and i think it's just lazy and it's always been stupid i think though i will take uh, i will take a a secondary look at 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 how would you get let me let me pose this question to you if you're mike tomlin or john gruden or Bill Belichick this season that tried to get through the thick skull that is Antonio Brown. How do you do that? I think everybody tried to reason with him, and he's still a dipshit. And obviously, if they're not allowed to... I mean, how do you motivate... How do you motivate an Antonio Brown? I mean... They wanted to throw $30 million at him. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do that. They, 
They were. I thought the Raiders were unbelievably patient this year, trying to go through his foot thing and then through his helmet thing, and he doesn't practice. And then finally, Mayock said, "Hey, enough is enough." I, you know, I just think we are, we are as a society, have become. I don't know the, what the word I'm looking for here. Um, I better be careful what I say, but I, I do want to make it very clear as to what I'm feeling here. We have um, made this an athlete, an athlete's world is what I would say, I, you know, because the athletes, the high end ones, they want to be involved with the decision in player personnel. You know, they, they've got to run that by me. LeBron James is famous for that. I want to make sure that that little peon who's now the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers contacts Rob Palenka, contacts LeBron James and uh, the other one, Anthony Davis, with any kind of player acquisition that the Los Angeles Lakers are looking to get into. Um, same thing with the Los Angeles Clippers. They needed to make sure that Kyrie Irving, or excuse me, that uh, Kawhi Leonard was happy, and they went out and spent five draft picks and two players. They sent seven players and draft pick capital to the Oklahoma City Thunder to make sure that Kawhi Leonard is happy and he will play for $141 million over the next four years for the Los Angeles Clippers. We have made it almost impossible for the coaches, the general managers, and even in some cases the owners to have a say in their own business because we have to acquiesce, we meaning as a society, we as, I'm not an owner, a general manager, a coach, but I'm putting me in the we category, we versus the athletes, we have to make it as comfortable as possible for our little multimillionaires to go out there and dribble and throw and kick and catch a ball. I think it's almost become ridiculous as to how much power athletes have today. And I would just say this, I go back to my UNLV days when I was in a class, and I've relayed this story to you before, but I'll relay it to you again because it's a bit fitting. I had the very first class, and I don't even remember what the class was, but Larry Johnson, who if people are basketball fans, remember big Larry Johnson who went on and led UNLV to the 1990 NC2A basketball championship along with rubber band man Stacey Ogman, Anderson Hunt, and uh, Greg Anthony those great four players that all went on to some success in the NBA having played for Coach Tarkanian. But because Larry Johnson was as dumb as this beautiful uh, kitchen table that we're broadcasting from, um, Larry Johnson showed up for the first day, and then there was another girl in that same seat because we sat in al alphabetical order, and the girl that sat next to me, which should have been Larry Johnson, every time, every class was a different girl because they wanted to make sure that LJ stayed eligible to play basketball. Um, we are, I think, as a society, again, owners, and there's, there's pressure on owners because if the team sucks, the fans don't come, they don't, they don't watch their product on the television, they don't download their product on their iPhones, their computers, their iPads, and everything else. I get that. But, oh, my God, I think today the inmates are running the asylum at a much greater rate than they have, obviously, in my whole lifetime. I just can't imagine. I'm going to go back to the 70s and the great and the and the great and the 80s with the great San Francisco 49ers football teams. Can you imagine if 
you're trying to keep that team together now with Joe Montana, Roger Craig, Jerry Rice, that unbelievable front seven on the defensive side with Ronnie Lott and, and all those great players. And what do you say if Ronnie Lott or Joe Montana go to Eddie DeBartolo and say, hey, Eddie, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want this guy kicked off the team. How do you think that would work in that day and age? Um, again, I just think that the inmates are running the asylum and I know that they have short careers. The average football career, National Football League career, is four years. And they have four years to really, you know, get as much as they can. Because realistically, a lot of them, let's be honest here, they didn't go to college to study the field of study that they were in. They were there to stay eligible in the sport that they were playing in. Well, I would simply say that these guys have leverage and they know it. And so, look, if you if you don't like that LeBron James is going to be demanding and want to say in this stuff, then you can get rid of him. And you can get lots for LeBron James. You'll get some great draft picks, some great prospects, and you can move on. You can go ahead with guys that you want on your team for all of the reasons uh, that you can possibly have because uh, that's part of who LeBron James is and he's got a resume and he's got enough money and he's got enough success and he's got enough name recognition that he can do that. Yes, it would have been much easier and much more convenient back in the day and whenever, the 50s or 60s, you know, people, there was more respect in society, fair enough, and people respected their elders more, sure, but then what happened? People took advantage of that and there was, you know, you'd call them the N-word or you'd kick them in the back or you'd punch them in the face that should never have happened maybe things would be different if those people hadn't taken advantage of their power like that i mean if no one had ever punched a player or kicked them or treated them poorly or called them you know the n-word or anything like that and if they'd all been competent too i mean even if even if that stuff had never happened there's been so many hack executives in sports I don't know that LeBron James really respects the brain trust there. At the very least, he didn't respect the coach when he asked for the specific meeting with Magic Johnson and uh, Jeannie Buss, I guess, right? So, I mean, and why is he doing that? Because he doesn't necessarily respect Rob Palenka. If every uh, general manager or owner in sports was like maybe Eddie DeBartolo or someone who is really respected and really amazing like that, uh, maybe that would be that. Maybe that wouldn't be the case. I mean, if LeBron James was playing for I don't know who's the best owner ever in basketball history and the best coach ever. If he's playing for both of them, Jerry Buss as the owner of the Los Angeles okay. Lakers. If he's playing for Jerry Buss, and who who in your opinion is the greatest coach in NBA history? Oh, I would have to say Red Arbach with the Boston Celtics. Okay, so if LeBron James right now is playing for uh, Mr. Buss and for Red Arbach, and they're both alive and in their prime. Maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to do that. But LeBron James doesn't want to end up like Barry Sanders, even though he's already much older than 30. But he doesn't want to end up like Barry Sanders or Megatron or anyone who just can't trust their executives and can't trust their franchise and needs to either step in and do something or leave or retire. Those are the choices. And I think that's what's going on here. There's been, and I, because I, you and I have seen it plenty in our lives, in our business world, never mind sports teams. How about just the industries we've been in? How many times has your owner or your manager or your boss been a stupid hack who shouldn't have been where they were at? Residential leasing group. Anyway, right? So, I mean, 
Hmm. And and I've worked for 25 companies in my life, and two of them have impressed me. Yeah. The other 23 were full of terrible managers, dumb hacks, and just people who either were there because of family or dumb luck or something or because or they were friends with somebody and nepotism and whatever, and they shouldn't have been there. And if industries and businesses and franchises and sports didn't make these stupid mistakes where they promote people for the wrong reasons and they're where they shouldn't be. Toronto Maple Leafs, John Ferguson Jr. always jumps into my head. <laughs> what a fucking hack that guy was. Anyway, and if that wasn't happening, then athletes wouldn't feel the need to do this. LeBron James, I'm sure, would be happy to play for Red Auerbach and Mr. Bus and sit back and play basketball and know that the best decisions are going to be made on his behalf for his team and they can win because everyone who is in their position is there for the right reasons and are as good at their job as LeBron is at his. I'm sorry for throwing you out on the, you, you, you handled that beautifully. And I just was trying to make a point and, and I'm proud of you. You just, I, I don't mean to throw you out there, but I, I don't, I didn't have a way to kind of, and you did it very, very eloquently. So I thank you. But Think about it this way, and I've been thinking about this a lot this weekend. It's been a tough weekend for me. But think about, and I use major college football programs in the South, okay, in my lifetime, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. I don't mean to uh, belittle anybody or, you know, uh, or put anybody in a bad light, but you i you would be lying not you i'm just saying specifically people would be lying right to my face if they didn't tell me that bear bryant as an as an example bear bryant at alabama in the 70, 60s and 70s first of all alabama was one of the last schools to integrate okay and you tell me that bear bryant at alabama um who are some other great uh, the guy that uh, Daryl Royal at Texas, as an example, John McKay at Southern Cal in the 70s. You tell me that those guys didn't use the N-word. I, 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 would, I believe that if somebody came to me, uh, let's say an alum from USC that had affiliations or had some con connection to the USC football program when John McKay was there and told me that Coach McKay never used the N-word, I believe in my heart of hearts, and this is just my opinion. I'm not speaking for Chris. I'm not speaking for anybody. This is me speaking for me. But you tell me at that time in the 70s, that 60s, 70s, we're in Vietnam, we're going in, we're getting out of Vietnam. People forget that Vietnam went from 1958 to 1975, inclusive. But tell me that during the, these times that these these bigger-than-life heads of state, bigger-than-life heads of these massive college football programs didn't use some very salty language and use some N-words and things to get their point across. I, I will say this to you right now. I And I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. My father was my coach. I got hit, I got kicked, I got called a lot of different names. I never got called the N-word because I'm a white boy. But I got called an idiot. I got called a moron. And this was my, from my own father because he's trying to instill in me that I've got to put more time in, I've got to put more preparation in, in getting ready for this week's game by studying the playbook more, by studying the game plan more. And I'm just a little high school quarterback. 
So again, this is a hot ticket item. I truly believe that we've just hit the top of the iceberg. I think you're going to see a bunch of big time coaches under scrutiny here in the next days, weeks, months, maybe years because of what they did back in the day. I think Paul Maurice, who I, you know, if I owned a hockey team, I think Paul Maurice would be the guy that I'd go after to be my coach. Me too, yeah. I think, A, he knows strategy, he knows the game, but here's the thing that makes Paul Maurice different. Paul Maurice came out this weekend and talked about the situation in regard to Babcock and in regard to Bill Peters and said, listen, we have all been in situations, whether we were in peewee hockey, midget hockey, all the way up to the National League, that there have been coaches that have used some different ways of firing players up. And Maurice comes out and says, you know what? I have a list on every player that I've coached in regard to how to handle them, what not to say to them, what to say to him. You know, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It was like he was just sitting here and that's why I respect Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice says, you know, there are going to be coaches and there are going to be people that are going to be looking through coaches' dossiers and looking through their resumes and going on Google and finding out about all these coaches now. And they're going to find some things that they're not going to like because we've all done things, whether as a player, administrator, or a coach, we've all done things to try to enhance our ability to go up that ladder, to make that progression from little hockey to, you know, uh, major junior to Western Hockey League to uh, American Hockey League to the National Hockey League. And I, I know I'm just pointing out the National Hockey League because the National Hockey League was the one that got hit this week by these Babcock and Peters story. The same things happen in the NBA, folks. I'm telling you right now, the same things happen in the NFL and the same thing for damn sure is happening in Major League Baseball. Everybody is checking all of their employees for any indiscretions that they can find. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's my true belief that we are going to see more coaches going to be losing their jobs over the next days, weeks, and months because teams are going to do a deep dive and they're going to cover their asses. And to cover their asses, they're going to make some changes. And the way they do that is fire some coaches. I, I believe that this is just, as I said, the tip of the iceberg. We are going to find more coaches looking for work. And then ultimately, it's going to be very difficult if a coach... It's going to be difficult for Bill Peters to find a job somewhere else after this. Yeah. After this, it's going to be difficult for Mike Babcock to find a job. Thankfully, the Toronto Raptors, the Toronto Maple Leafs fired him, and he's still got four years left on his on his Toronto deal, three years left on his Toronto deal, three and a half years left on his Toronto deal. So he's still going to be getting paid. So I don't know. I just think that sports in general are going to be in upheaval here in the next days, weeks, and months because of, of what started with Babcock, went on to Bill Peters, and now I believe in my heart of hearts that every team in professional sports is doing a deep dive to find out the skeletons and the ghosts in all of their employees' closets. And when they find them, and if they don't have a suitable excuse as to what happened, an suitable explanation, I believe there's going to be a lot of pink slips being handed out in the four professional sports. It's interesting how this was started by Babcock, even though he did something that was much less offensive than calling someone the N-word or physically assaulting someone True. or sexually assaulting someone. What he did was way less offensive and problematic than any of those things. 
However, it was more inexcusable almost at the same time if that's possible because you can go back to a time where people were tossing around the n-word willy-nilly correct you can go back to a time where it was common for you know women to be harassed in the workplace sexually and it was just rampant you can go back to a time where coaches just hit their players and no one would ever even think of questioning them especially if they were legend but there has never been a time where it would have been a good idea to get a rookie to put together a list ranking the players from laziest <laughs> to hardest working and then tell everyone what he said. There, there's, there's no era, there's no time in human history where that would have been a good idea. It's just not the case. And I'm just so shocked that Mike Babcock did this because Ray Ferraro, who I really respect, he came out on the radio, on TSN radio, and said the same thing. He's like, I can't believe he ever thought this was a good idea. In what era, in what way could embarrassing a rookie, who's supposed to be a future superstar right. and basically is now right. on your team, how does this help? How does it not just divide the whole team? How does it not just, you know, make everyone not trust each other? How does it not make even Mike Babcock look bad to the players? Mm -hmm. It's just the dumbest, most inexplicable decision. As bad as it was, he never could have dreamed it would lead to himself and people he knows and uh, and every coach in professional sports being targeted because it was such a bad decision. But it was still shocking that he ever thought this was a good idea. It's jarring to a lot of people because change traditionally is very incremental in society. And now because of the internet and social media and cancel culture and everyone worried about their brand, now it's happening at light speed, at warp speed. And it's in a way it's good. I think there's going to be some collateral damage in the uh, form of innocent victims, unfortunately. And I hope that's minimized. In the end, it will be for the best if we can weed out people doing just completely inexcusable stuff and hurting people for no reason. But uh, it, it's just weird to me that, you know, of all things to be the linchpin for the to, to be the, you know, the, to light the match for this powder keg, it was Mike Babcock getting a rookie to do a homework assignment that was stupid and I guess he's going to pay for it, not really as much monetarily because he's already gotten more money than he'll ever spend in his life, but it was just such a bad decision. And if nothing else, I kind of actually like, when I think about it, I'm just thinking about this now, I kind of like that someone got called out for making a decision that, that, was, a, that was just that fucking stupid. Because if you or I makes a decision, you know, 1% that bad, we get fired. So it's nice to see that one of these guys that seemingly is untouchable paid the price for doing something that was just absolutely stupid. We've got to run, but I tell you, folks, this story has just begun. Oh, it rhymed. Um, you're going to hear again. You're going to hear names of people going down for this, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. We've got to run on this 429th episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for participating and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Flew, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.